When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, you're listening to Over Under Movies, the podcast in which we pick one overrated movie and one underrated movie, similar in tone, genre, and style, and we discuss them. I'm Ryan Oliver. This is Oktay Ege Kozak. And uh, this podcast is brought to you by theplaylist.net, and this is part two of our year-end extravaganza. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, the most overrated films of 2016. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about uh, the most underrated films of 2016. Um, and if you want to hear our thoughts about uh, the year as a whole uh, in movies, you can listen to that uh, part one episode where we talked for about five minutes beforehand about what we thought about the year. So you can refer to that episode. But since and, this is part two, uh, we're just going to we're just going to dive right into it. Yeah. Um, so, Octay, let's let's start it off. What is your number five underrated movie of 2016? Uh, my number five underrated is a very little seen uh, Irish drama called Glassland. Um, and this is a little bit of a cheat because it was produced in 2014 and I think it was released in the UK in 2015, but it got in there. Uh, very early on in 2016, when I saw it, uh, when I had to, when I reviewed it for the playlist, and I found this to be an an extremely uh, touching and emotionally affecting uh, drama uh, about uh, an Irish uh, cab driver uh, whose mother is an alcoholic. The mother is played by Tony Collette. And uh, he is basically just, it's just a film that deals with uh, the depression and the grief that comes with having uh, a close family member struggling with addiction. And it doesn't without, and it does it in a way that I felt was very um, level-headed, that rang true, that wasn't about just um, melodramatic histrionics. Um yeah, it it was just very uh, even-handed, and I I love all the performances in it. I think it's I think it's if not the best, one of the best performances that Toni Collette has uh, given, and in her like amazing uh, career that spans you know over two decades, and um, yeah, and it's a story that um, you don't you don't really see where it's going. You you know it's, it doesn't have any like easy answers for you, but it doesn't also uh, like a lot of uh, other films with this kind of subject matter, it doesn't also just wallow in kind of misery porn. Uh, it understands, it has sections in it that shows the the kind of love that exists between the mother and the son. Um, but in, in, in many ways, actually, um, it reminds me of two films, one that, I've, that I saw a year before I saw Glass Line, one that I saw after, um, and in 2015, one of uh, our co-host uh, Eric McClanahan's uh, favorite films of that year, James Gray, was about uh, a troubled man. James White. Was... James White, sorry. <laughs> uh, um, I got my uh, wizards uh, crossed. Um, 
so yeah, James White, which was a, a terrific uh, little indie um, about a man, about a troubled young man who's, who's struggling with, you know, his father, his mother uh, being sick. Uh, and um, and in this case, it's like the sickness is alcoholism and it that deals with that issue, I think, in a, in a very uh, adult uh, and uh, interesting way. And uh, and not, and the other film is that I can relate to it is is the the, the great critically acclaimed Moonlight, uh, where um, it's almost like an Irish version of the the, the relationship between the son and the uh, the boy and the uh, the drug addicted mother in uh, in Moonlight in the way that it 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 deals with that relationship. It shows you that these two people love each other very much and. And the mother is in this situation not because she's just entirely selfish or a horrible person, but because because of the fact that she can't be. She knows that she 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 doesn't have it in her maybe to be the perfect mother. That's why she kind of hates herself, and that starts the uh, the cycle of of addiction. And it just like deals with those issues. I think in a very um, uh, adult way and I think it's a, it's a beautiful film it's a beautiful looking film too using like the the Irish uh, countryside um, uh, yeah I think this was kind of like a forgotten gem that just like came and went uh, you can find it on Netflix uh, instant and check it out uh, if the films that I mentioned or the types of films that I mentioned um, uh, are kind of like the the kind of stuff that you like it's, it's definitely uh, it's definitely worth a check but um, so Ryan did you uh, did you watch this yeah, I watched it yesterday, and uh, the the key word that you said that really uh, made me like this movie quite a bit was was the even handedness of it. The fact that it doesn't sort of like it, it is a, a, a bummer, but there's also a, you know moments like these pockets of light that um, give it a really balanced tone. And that scene, man, that scene where Tony Collette uh, describes why she's mm-hmm. the way she is um, should should have put her in the running for like awards consideration this yeah, year. Yeah, she's because, amazing. Man, She's incredible in this movie, and so is Jack Rayner. Like, mm-hmm. this movie and um, Sing Street, the well-loved movie that came out uh, earlier this year as well, made me understand why he popped up on, like, every short list for these, like, big tentpole castings. Like, I didn't understand that, and I learned you should never judge someone by the Michael Bay movie they decided to be in early in their career because it would launch them to which, which be in other he things. In? He's in the fourth Transformers movie. He's oh, the, he is? like of interest in, in uh, that. I'm uh, so happy I didn't see that. So, so yeah, I, I, ha- I have nothing but positive memories of this guy. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And and again, it's not his fault. Someone yeah. asks you, hey, yeah. you want to be in a $200 million movie when you're yeah, make 22? A ton yeah, of money. And then it'll allow, allow you to make films like, you know, Glassland and Sing Street. You know, he should Absolutely. be all for that. that no, no, for sure. no, yeah, no blame there at all. But yeah, yeah Jack, Jack Rayner plays the, uh, the son, and I think he does an amazing job of like, you know, he comes across as like the the film lulls you into its um, its subject matter. It just it opens with the first fifteen minutes or so. It feels like it just like shows you the day to day, like humdrum existence of this cab driver, and then gradually eases you into his like really troubled life. But the, it's the performance that shows you that there's there's something wrong uh, brewing underneath. Like this is like a very like kind of reserved um quiet guy and uh he knows exactly which moments to play that way and which moments to just like let it all out and mm-hmm. uh there are a couple of moments in the film just like with uh with Tony Collette's character where it's just like he's just had it and he just like everything just comes just screaming out and, and think... you understand it it's not mm-hmm. this like histrionic like yeah. burst 
you know, melodramatic moment, as you pointed out. It's like it's a well-earned, like, you, you know, you see the stuff that he's had to put up with up until that point, And he just, you know, he, he's at it and it hurts. And it's you see that in that performance. It's it's quite remarkable. Uh, and this director, uh, Gerard Barrett, uh, he's got another movie coming out, or at least it's on the festival circuit called uh, Brain on Fire. Mm-hmm. And this guy's only like 29 years old. So he's this guy's on the right track. He's going to make something. He's already oh, yeah, made something yeah. very, very good, but he's yeah, gonna make something great. And that—that's—it's—it's it's compared to his age, especially like you wouldn't guess, like by watching this movie, like how patient and how um, assured uh, of a direction that it has. You wouldn't guess it's made by like a twenty-something year old. No, not at all. No, not. So yeah, I I'm, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you liked it as well. Uh, it was my mission in life to make uh, Eric see this. Uh, but like, hopefully down the line someday he will. And, uh, yeah, cause it's like, it's the, it's the kind of like, I, I, I don't know if you would agree, but it's the kind of film that I feel like screams his name. I think so. I think he would be all <laughs> over it, uh, for sure. So Eric, you uh, didn't, you didn't do the, uh, uh, this episode this time, but like, you know, you're not off the hook yet. No, you need to watch it. Um, so a completely 180 in tone, uh, yeah. from your number five. Uh, my number five is pop star never stop, never stopping. Today I- CMC. He released his record with a dishwashing company. They did this big launch and it was all wireless or something. I don't know, but it came out of every appliance in my house. And I was just like, I hate Connor for real. For real. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, let's be nice to Connor for real because he seems like a good guy. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Another, and it's really, another heavy drama with uh, another heavy yeah. heavy drama uh, and it's really only on my list because i couldn't find room on my top 10 for it but i well, well, love well, the, the wolf attack is dramatic though yeah it's intense <laughs> the wolf attack is intense <laughs> and hilarious at the same time no this is uh this movie i think is utterly fantastic and and i try not to put a lot of uh emphasis on box office as so many people tend to uh in this day and age but man i am so disappointed that nobody went and saw this movie in the theaters like i i don't yeah. know if it's because um once uh the lonely island guys left saturday night live if their thunder had you know they lost some thunder or maybe people thought that you know that i should be watching this on youtube and it's not going to be worth seeing in the theater um yeah maybe i understand that but i think those people would, are dead wrong because i seeing this movie with a, a crowd was uh quite a treat and i think that uh it's it's to me it's the best comedy of the year best like pure comedy of the year and i think that what makes it so great and what will make it age well is it's so hard to make a movie like humor is so subjective and personal and so many comedies are of their time which this movie is but how well it encapsulates this time in pop superstardom i think Mm -hmm. will age the movie incredibly well like it dates it but it will also uh like sort of transcend time uh, I, I think and, that that's why the the spinal tap comparisons are are yes. on on the nose here because because of that very same reason spinal tap is very dated and timeless at the same time exactly. it's about that time in in music where like hair metal bands and uh all this like the showmanship uh, over you know style over substance was taken over um and uh so it's like pop star kind of does the same thing i think it will be a little bit more dated than Spinal Tap simply because it 
a spinal type as as much as it's about like the metal movement of the early 80s and it like lampooned all these bands who were just like switching tones and genres at the drop of a hat the second they see it being uh popular uh and um but i spinal tap the one thing that it did right i think is that it didn't specifically name check uh bands or um you know pop culture events that were happening in real life at the time so right. you can have a general idea of like what's going on what was going on at the time and it like really dates it and sets it in the in the time period but like that that's what makes it like more timeless to me than pop star and pop star does the same thing but yeah they can't it's because they cut their lonely island is very like it's is their humor is entrenched in um in popular culture so it it's, is. it's it's very it's, true it's, it's you know like the 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 song that they brought them into prominence was the um the chronicles of narnia and all that like it's it's uh <laughs> lazy it's, sunday yeah lazy sunday so it's 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 understandable and so it's a, they, they do a lot of jokes and name checks of like famous people that who are at the time and then like if you watch it 10 years from now you're not going to recognize half the people or no some but of you the might jokes that were name the, but you'll know the the sort of like uh activity and the mannerisms oh, yeah. of like the musical like that's what i think so great about the movie is like the music especially like the musical numbers they're yeah. they're hilarious but yeah, those are not gonna date and i, th- I think the no. way that they lampoon like this these ridiculous like uh showmanships that the that the pop stars like try to like put on there in order to um like gather more and more audiences or these gimmicks like the uh the 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 fridge that plays the entire album every time you open <laughs> that makes it makes one of U- u2's uh make it you listen to their uh album on itunes where they like yeah. force the album on people yeah it's like they're, or, they're making fun of that but like if even if you don't know that like years down the line when you're watching the movie that's still funny without yeah. the uh without that kind of context and that it's that it's that kind of humor that's like or like putting like a giant robot light on top of the DJs or like the fact that yeah. his DJ is just like he just puts on like into iPod and then just like sits <laughs> so and, good. Sits they make fun of Macklemore like... and Ryan Lewis so hard in this movie between that and the uh same love parody yeah, yeah <laughs> which is like all that stuff it's like that's why I feel like that's why like 90% of the the humor in the film even though it's completely entrenched in you know contemporary pop culture will work and will not be dated is because even if you don't understand the reference you'll still get the joke that exactly the, you know like the, the macklemore you know like i've by the time i watched a uh, pop star and this is one of the films that like i love i mean you know generally like i should say like i love this film i think it's fucking hilarious and and i feel like i think everybody especially people who are like into like the pop scene and all that like should definitely like watch this movie if you've seen at least a, a maybe like a handful of those like uh these shitty like uh 3d um pop star Jonas brothers yeah like justin Jonas bieber. Brothers, justin bieber believe or whatever like if you've seen a couple of these like it lampoons it's like the walk hard of those like as mm-hmm. as much as walk hard was about like the music biopics it's like the it's like that like it gets it it gets the tone and the style of those movies the editing and the, and yes. the way that it's like it's all like self-aggrandizing and um you know it's it's just you know it's like the 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 mockumentary itself is like it gets like all the criticism that's like leveled at the the shithead uh pop star um connor for real it's like yeah. it gets it in like in like in like more subtle tones because it's like in those mock in those documentaries the real documentaries the people who work for like justin bieber of course are not allowed to say anything bad about him yeah uh, of, of, even though like you can tell that just by the way they look and the way they present themselves they're like this 
fucking piece of shit. Like they just want to like go at it. And they're, and they're... Andy Samberg's so good at like playing oh, that so, character. Yeah. Like he understands it so well. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm with you. I love this movie. It's only 87 minutes and it's so it's wall to wall funny. Like it never drags. Um, Akiva yeah. Schaefer and Norma Tacone directed it, who are two of the three Lonely Island members who separately have directed MacGruber and Hot Rod, two movies that I also I don't love as much as this movie, but I also love them. And they were both bombs upon their release. Yeah, but th- those movies were like uneven, but really funny. But I feel like this is the one that like really got them to like, OK, yeah. now you have you made like a film that really stands on its own. That's like consistently yep. funny. They made this is their magnum engaging. opus. Yeah. As as much as you can say, like with a movie where um, Seal gets his face eaten off by by wolves, uh, but you know, like all that stuff is just yeah. This movie's hilarious. You should definitely check it out. Um, hopefully, if it gets like a nice little, uh, you know, like office style or whatever, like cult following after the fact on home video, um, you know, it'll it'll give these guys like more, you know, ammunition to do stuff like this, which I think is very very needed. Uh, that kind of satire is very needed in, in our in our popular culture, in our like yes. like just incredibly vapid and uh, superficial pop pop culture and right now. And narcissistic narcissistic you know, like pop culture. Everything you can yeah, tell this her. is this is perfect. It's perfect for that. So yeah, please please check it out. Everything you've heard about it is right. It's hilarious. Please watch it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, uh, my number four, it's not, it's not as big of a switch because I think we're at, at least as far as I'm concerned, we're moving on to another hilarious film. It's the, yes. it's the nice guys. I can't talk to you, man. They're dead. What's the protest about? You know, any of you know why you're protesting the air air you're protesting the air, the pollution, the birds can't breathe. So all you died because of the pollution? Right. What about the gas mask? They didn't save you? This is fucking... All right. Ah! Fucker. Sorry. I thought you were dead. Uh, Shane Black written and directed um, kind of a body cop comedy or like a, uh, you know, like in, in that kind of vein, even though they're not technically police and one of them is the worst fucking... Uh, private detective that you can you know as as far as like incompetency and being like a uh, piece of shit is concerned um but it's uh yeah it's like this this it's it's it is in a way it's shane black's throwback to what he did best with lethal weapon and the last boy scout and we did talk about how um brilliant the last boy scout is in just uh, creating this um as far as the, the writing is concerned, like creating this chemistry between like these, uh, these like kind of macho LA characters and just like breaking down uh, the artifice of that and showing you like how ridiculous these types of art- archetypes can be while not turning it into a complete uh, parody and having you kind of relate to these characters as well. And I think he's, he's kind of created like one of his best versions of that with the nice guys. Um, the story is like convoluted but that doesn't matter uh i look at this in a way that i look at something like the big lebowski and it's it's like this like incredibly complex crazy uh raymond chandler style mystery that's like thrown on the heads of these two like idiots who are just like kind of stumbling through it uh and just like i feel like um it's a film that's not as like amazing as the big lebowski is because that's probably my favorite comedy of all time but but it it captures that 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 feeling of like 
having you relate to these characters who are way over their heads, who are arrogant, who are like, um, they're just, they just want, it's, it's not like, you know, like in, in, in stories like this, there's some kind of personal element where the detective has to like, you know, like in Maltese Falcon, his, his partner is killed. So he has to go out and like, get this thing done, um, get to the bottom of the case or whatever. And it's just like, I just love these types of movies where it's just like it, the, the main characters just want to get out of this predicament they find themselves as, as in as quickly as they want as they can and uh and then like all this like insane stuff happens around them and uh so i think the writing and the directing is is great uh but i think what really makes this movie is the the performances by russell crowe and ryan gosling and uh you know people are going on and on about how great chemistry emma stone and uh, ryan gosling have in la la land and i feel like uh for me, at least, this is the movie that, like, if you want to look at, like, one movie that has amazing chemistry with Ryan Gosling in it, is the, the, the chemistry between Gosling and Russell Crowe is just, is just amazing. And it just made me want, unfortunately, it's probably not going to happen, but it me, made me want to see, like, a series of movies with these characters, mm-hmm. uh, just like Lethal Weapon. But, uh, but at least having this, just like I said about Popstar, like, maybe down the line, uh, especially as far as, like, it's it's irreverent uh crazy tone is concerned and how it deals with this like serious but crazy mystery that involves like the auto industry and the porn industry and mixes them all together um you know like maybe it didn't maybe it was kind of weird for people when it came out but like down the line hopefully it's gonna get some get like a bigger audience and uh i'm crossing my fingers for a sequel man like i I really want to see these characters like same. Like live on it through the eighties and all that stuff, and like see like how they deal with the the situation. Like in the Reagan era, what the fuck do these guys do? Or just like they're already exactly. dinosaurs in the seventies, especially um, Russell Crowe's character, which is like the the macho man uh, outside of his time as a Shane Black archetype. Anyway, and I think Russell Crowe did an amazing job with that. Um, so anyway, I mean, I know you you've seen this, but what's your overall? Oh, um, I've feeling? I've seen it like four times so i yeah, feel like that's great. already enough to know yeah i love this movie and, and, it, and it blows my mind that like it, it didn't you know seem to do well in theaters because i saw it twice in the theaters uh once like thursday night showing so it was a little lighter crowd but i went like the following saturday and the movie was completely sold out and people were just eating it up like they absolutely loved it and i was just like why is this not? but then why is this not like widespread why is this not going everywhere but i think yeah, I think the movie is absolutely great. I think what Russell Crowe has never been this funny or this like light in one of his movies because he's always so like serious mm-hmm. and, and needs to be taken seriously. In I many think ways, he's great. Ryan Gosling too. I mean, he's done some comedies, but like a lot of especially cinephiles uh, know him from Nicholas Winding Reference, where it's just like a block of wood basically. And um, uh, I know, I know, and I know that you know a lot of people have the. Uh, defenders for that if Eric was here he'd be like going on about I'm it I'm a defender yeah I, I know too. you are too and um <laughs> but like I was I was honestly like so surprised by how great of a physical comedy actor yes the, the, uh, the Ryan Gosling is he plays um, such a good drunk in this movie and like yeah. but the mannerisms of being that drunk like falling over the hill and seeing a dead body and like trying to uh get the words out but he can't do it and it's just like it's so so damn funny it's, it's a film uh, that's like so violent and so like just over the top oh yet, yet has like his it's it's comedy is like there's there's comedy bits there that, that are from like abbott and costello like there's like these very Absolutely. like out the same there, way that comedy bits and the same uh 
ideas sort of that Shane Black played with in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, like yeah. the sort of like messing with film tropes. Like there's a clear, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil it for people, but there's a clear uh, Chekhov's gun piss take in this movie. Oh, that's amazing. that one is so funny. It's good. Or like the, the sort of like something to do with a film reel at the end of the movie is like his as like plot armor is pretty mm-hmm. great. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here. And I think Shane Black is being very smart in terms of like I'm bummed this movie didn't do well, but I'm, I'm assuming he got to make this movie because Iron Man three was yeah. such a massive, massive hit. And, and he's, he's doing on his way pre- to doing predator. Yeah, exactly. So if the predator movie does well, he'll probably get to make another movie uh, in this vein. So, Hey, as long as uh, yeah. Shane black gets to keep making movies, like I'm just, it, it's a bummer. This one didn't connect, but yeah, just, just go, go see it. It is so, if nothing else, like like you said, the plot doesn't really matter in this movie. It's no, like like no, it's, the about, it's about the or, characters. Like I can I can exactly. watch these characters just like grab coffee and like bicker with each other for two yeah. hours. The plot it's, it's, the plot is just like kind of a McGovern. It's just it's just in right. the way. It's the know. same as Big Lebowski. Same as Inherent exactly. Vice as well. Yeah, like you don't have to like. It's just this world you want to get lost in, and the movie that 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 chemistry. Um, and a shout out to I think it's a Gary Rice I don't remember her name but the the girl who plays Gosling's daughter in this oh, movie is also yeah. pretty terrific. Um, so yeah, I agree. This movie is yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's if you if you love Lethal Weapon and Big Lebowski equally, like you should like flock to see this. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So my number four, uh, I almost feel weird putting it on this list solely because of its acclaim, but I'll, but I'll explain why. Uh, it's Embrace of the Serpent. Uh, Colombian film by Ciro Guerra. Uh, Ciro Guerra. I think that I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I apologize if I'm not. Uh, this movie, it was nominated for Best Foreign Film uh, last year mm-hmm. um, at the Oscars. And uh, it's it's popped up on a lot of uh, our top tens of the playlist. I know it's on Ollie Littleton's. And I know Eric hasn't posted one, but I know this is like one of his favorite movies mm-hmm. of the year. Um, but I uh, honestly, outside of the playlist group, I haven't seen like as much love for this movie elsewhere. And I still do feel like there's a certain stigma with people about movies with subtitles, like foreign films. So I feel like black black and white Mm -hmm. subtitled. So I just feel like even though the movie did reach a certain level, grim grim existential subject matter, you know, but a weird, also weird layer of hopefulness. Oh yeah. yeah. Of course. In a way similar to Glassland, but I feel like this is. But I'm talking about what people would, what the general audience would take out of watching the trailer or something. Right. I think, I I think so. But I think this is a movie, uh, you know, also for our sort of like current cultural political climate that needs to be seen by Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because like this movie can be seen as a straightforward, you know, uh, Herzogian trek through the Amazon uh, film, but you know the 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 parallels to today in terms of like gentrification and mm-hmm. you know white people be oh, yeah, suck if you're, if you're, and ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. there's like there's that layer to it, but then there's this also layer on the other side because there's a you know just such a culture clash in this movie uh, between the Amazonian shaman mm-hmm. and the two white explorers. But like the movie also goes through two parallel stories one set in the past and one uh in the present where the shaman's older and a little bit more wiser Mm -hmm. and he takes another person through that journey but like their conclusion ends on a little bit uh their journey ends a little bit of a mutual understanding as opposed to the journey when he was younger just a constant inevitable conflict yes exactly that that is just like that's just brimming 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 and you know it's just not gonna end 
well and it doesn't but uh i think this is a movie that should be seen solely for you know for for people to just reach an understanding with one another and on top of that this may sound like you're having to do homework with this movie you don't because it's a really entertaining movie um and a very just stunning beautiful movie oh my god so beautiful so yeah i I do think, again, the movie reached a, a lot of critical acclaim, but again, I think people still would shy away from a movie like this, and I'm saying you shouldn't. It's pretty pretty great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great that you brought up uh, Herzog. Uh, I would say that if you're, um, if you're a big fan of especially A Gear Wrath of God, um, yeah. you know, finish listening to this episode first. Uh, we, we appreciate your support, and we would love it if you just um, go through the episode. But like, as soon as it's over, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, yep. Embrace the Serpent. Uh, please watch it immediately, especially if you're a big fan of that film, because it's 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 a great uh, counterpart to that to Herzog. What I uh, consider to be like probably his, I would say maybe his masterpiece or one of his best films. Um, oh, Gary the Wrath of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and it it has that same kind of um, kind of bleak, but almost um, this is a film that has a little bit more hope towards like the. Um, uh like having those two completely different uh cultures uh clashing cultures kind of coming together it's a film that's a little bit more hopeful it's not as bleak uh it's not as nihilist but it's it's a realist uh approach uh it's a gorgeous beautiful film with amazing natural acting from um everyone involved uh and and yeah it's a it is it's black and white subtitles um grim subject matter and all that stuff but it is also a very beautiful uh incredibly fulfilling and and a very entertaining film to watch in in many ways uh mm-hmm. as you see this like immense culture crash happening between these people and it it truly is like it's it's like a amazonian version of um you know uh hearts of darkness in many ways uh so if you're into apocalypse now this is a film that will like certainly like attract your attention and it's yeah it's a this is a beautiful um introspective uh film and i'm i'm you know as as much as eric like kind of um supported it so much and talked about it so much during the year and i'm so happy that like since you you've put it on your list that i finally had the motivation to just like sit and like uh sit through this film and uh i'm so lucky i feel i feel lucky that i i i was able to just sit and watch it all the way through without any uh distractions and that's the perfect way to to just watch this film but because it is in a way uh much of an experience as it is a, a narrative so um, it is yeah it's it's one that i would definitely say you know uh especially if you're into the kind of films that we mentioned uh you should definitely check it out it did get you know it did get good reviews and it, it was oh, nominated yeah. last year but i feel like as good as it is it didn't get the acclaim like the overall acclaim that it should have and that's no that's it's not why, like it like a, we're talking like about. a it's not like a amelie or like i'm yeah. trying to think of like other foreign language films that like crossed over sort of to the mainstream yeah. zeitgeist and it, and it never did that um but i think it's deserving so yeah it's on it's on prime video watch it watch it as soon as you're done listening to this episode i would agree so what about your number three so um uh, my number three is another movie where Andy Samberg plays a narcissistic, um, self-centered uh, jackass. Uh, not a jackass, but a, a stork. 
and that is my uh, my most pleasant surprise of the year is the animated movie Storks, which uh, I had to review for a website. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have gone to the press screening because I feel like Warner Brothers really dropped the ball on this movie as far as the marketing was concerned. Uh, I think uh, the, the trailers are a little bit better than the print marketing, but I think the print marketing made it look like uh, minions or trolls, like that kind of cutesy um like just for kids animated movie animated movie with a high concept like you know what if the whole idea of like storks bringing babies was real and blah blah and it's like look we have a bunch of cute animated babies and like that's that was like basically their approach and uh i went to see it for to review it and i was just like so surprised at how how funny it was in a in a in a looney tunes kind of way this is a film that uh it owes a lot of debt to like the, the crazy physical comedy of Looney Tunes, and it does it in a way that's like it's just so manic and uh, so funny, and it has like these hilarious characters and uh, going from um, and it it it's a it's a it's a movie that like embraces the the sheer absurdity of the old Looney Tunes cartoons, like it's it's based on like the characters are relatable and the story is fun. Uh, but the the gags and the humor in it is just like completely based on this like absurdist absurdist cartoonish, like this is a cartoon more than it is uh, like an, a quote unquote animated feature, and it wears its um, and it's where it wears that badge proudly. It's not ashamed of being a cartoon, and like going from like the absurd. Um, gags of running gags of like the this, this wolf bag who can like turn into any kind of vehicle uh or like there's this like great uh like an ass kissing pigeon character who's like who's like the culmination like the the um marvin the martian that's like, what it's, he he's, he's a marvin the martian so much. He's, he's like this like self self-centered prick who's just like an ass kisser you know like the, he's he's definitely like he sounds like marvin the martian too but you can tell that um this is a film that was made not by people like the Nicholas Stoller wrote and directed it. Uh, that's his name, right? Yeah. Uh, and so he's he's a guy who comes from like all these hard R-rated, uh, you know, Judd Apatow produced comedies like Forgetting Sarah Marshall and the Neighbors movies. And uh, he kind of like brings that that kind of irreverent energy to Storks without, um, you know, without the R-rated humor. I think he just knocks it out of the park. I think this movie's fucking hilarious i think it's um it earns its character moments and and the way that it gradually uh turns into towards the end like a more heartfelt kind of pixar style approach i think it earns it as well uh Mm -hmm. it has this like really beautiful touching ending uh so i think it's like it's like the complete package and especially for people who are fans of cartoons or fans of looney tunes i think this is a much better looney tunes movie than uh like say space jam uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. It's, this is the one film that I've like, um, I had to watch the secret life of pets like more than a hundred times this year because my uh, three-year-old daughter is a big fan of it. But this is the one film that I've, even though it's not on my like top 10 or anything like that, but you know, watching it more and more, it feels like maybe it should have been. Uh, but this is the film that I watched the most. I feel like, um, this year because it's just, it's just so much fun. It is. It's really enjoyable, and and I'm glad you put it on your list because it's it's a movie I probably would not have watched uh, otherwise. 
Um, but yeah, I found it to be mostly enjoyable and, and it's, a, I think it's a good message for, for both parents and kids. Um, when the movie had to stop to, 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 uh, message a little bit, uh, is when I, I won't say I lost interest, but I guess for me, just, you know, not being a parent yet, it didn't, uh, I was like, oh, this is good, you know, a cute message. I'm glad it's in this movie, but it sort of stopped the, the relentless zaniness, uh, in its tracks from time to time. But, uh, yeah, I found this movie to be very funny. Uh, I think it's funny that the storks work for, uh, basically amazon.com Amazon. yeah, yeah. <laughs> cause that's what I do in my day job. So I think that's very, very funny. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's, it's great. The wolves, uh, who are voiced by Keegan, Michael Key and Jordan Peele, I think are, are the highlight of the movie as with that pigeon. Mm. Uh, and it's, um, yeah, it's it's all overall a, a very enjoyable. I, I, I don't want to say it, and I can't even remember it anyway. But there was one joke. Oh no, it had to do with penguins. That's all I'll say. Oh, yeah. that made me laugh so hard that came completely out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there there are many mo- moments in this movie that I think are just downright hilarious. Yeah, it, it has those like set pieces that like totally take you by surprise because you're like, this yes. is an incredibly clever way of dealing with this. Because it does have, like, the story itself has all the beats of uh, the modern animated, like, the the computer animated uh, movie, you know, mainly for kids. You know, it has that adventure element of, like, oh, they have the baby and the, the stork played by Andy Samberg wants to be boss. So he has to go and, like, deliver the baby before he can be boss. And, like, you know, there's all this, like, the beats are all, the story beats are predictable, but the way that they approach the the set pieces that you would find in these stories of like just like the way you mentioned the penguins with like that kind of set piece you've seen it like countless other animated movies but they uh they always find a way to add some kind of like really funny twist on it (laughs) and uh yeah that happens with the with the wolves uh and with the penguins and the um and the pigeon uh character is just like the in a way, like the perfect kind of cartoon antagonist, just like Marvin the Martian or um, or Elmer Fudd or like any one of those like Wiley Coyote. Teams, Wiley Coyote, just like this this doofus who's just like thinks he's the best whatever in the world and he's just like a complete loser. And um, yeah, that was just like it's just it's just a film that like if you're I'm a big fan of Looney Tunes. I grew up on that stuff and I always preferred it yeah. to. Um, I always preferred it to like the Disney short, like the Disney characters, like the Disney Me animated too. stuff. So, if if you're in that in that camp, like this is a film to like, you know, even if you don't have kids, if you don't not not into like family films or whatever, it's just like the 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 physical gags in the film alone, like and and another one that involves glass that's just hilarious. Um, oh my god, that's so good! And, and, and for and what the, it's worth, yeah, for what it's worth, I thought it it earned its uh it, its sort of emotional uh, ending uh, more than. Um, Finding Dory did the highest like grossing animated movie of the year. Uh, yeah, that yeah. that one felt like it was too like like I felt like I was being played a little bit. I was hmm. like eh, I don't I don't know this seems too easy, but I I think this one uh, it earns it. This very, one was very like, much I so. think I think it earns it in a way that it doesn't go too long with it. It's it's like it's right. like okay you sat through eighty minutes of just like crazy cartoon hijinks and here's like a nice little button. Yeah, uh, you know, like it, did, nice it didn't feel like I was button. being manipulated yeah. by it, you know. Yeah, so, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't go like over the top with it, but it, it just it just had like a nice little sweet, beautiful little button. And yeah, I just I I really I really like this film, and I hope that um, more people check it out in a year that saw that saw like a lot of great um, animated films. And this one kind of I feel like got lost in the shuffle. I agree. Um, yeah. It's so what's your insane. what's your number three? Uh, my number three is Chad Hardigan's Morris from America. I do hate it here. 
my man. I know. But check it. I know you don't want to hear this right now, but one day when you lighten the hip hop world on fire, it'll be because you have a unique perspective. And when you collecting all your Source Awards, you'll thank me. Source Awards? Mm -hmm. Is that as far as I get in your dreams? All right, all right, you're Can right. Can I get a Grammy or something? Nobel Prize, how about that? Uh, speaking of uh, sweet movies, um, I, I I pretty much just adored this movie, despite its its faults. Um, it's it's about a, a father and a son. Uh, Marquis Christmas is the uh, son who's who's I think a terrific young actor, and and I hope he gets more work. And uh, Craig Robinson being his father, uh, they relocate to Germany after uh, their mother and uh, wife passes away, respectively. Um, he's a soccer coach, the father, and it's sort of just about his like misadventures of being a teenager in a foreign country and like just trying to to deal with both the grief and loss of his mother but also like just trying to fit in and of course he meets a girl who's sort of like a like edgy kind of edgy and does what she wants does by her own rules sort of thing mm -hmm. which leads to all kinds of like you know scenes and, and pieces that um just lead him astray but i think it's it's ultimately just it, i think an incredibly sweet movie uh i i like the the sort of element of hip-hop uh that like the father and son bond and bicker over like what they think is good music because uh, to me the movie feels like sort of like you know how like a hip-hop song will uh remix like a classic rock track um as part of the beats like this feels like a remix of like a godard or like a french new wave film but with the different sort of like modern uh twist mm -hmm. to it um so yeah it's a movie that i it, that's also streaming on prime so um i it's a movie that i just think it's very very sweet and enjoyable and and i think more people should should check out yeah yeah i i, I really enjoyed this uh if you've seen uh even a handful of like uh these types of coming of age stories about you know early teens kids like you know discovering love for the first time and a, and a in a different environment and stuff like that. Like the, the story itself doesn't offer anything new. Uh, you know exactly where the story is yeah. going to go every, you know, from the very beginning, you know, and that that's kind of the charm of it in a way, because uh, we've all been there. Like as soon as uh, the kid starts to kind of fall for this German girl and thinking that maybe she's in love with him too. And immediately you're just like, Oh no. Cause you know, you know we've, we've been there where it's like you're in the friend zone from minute one and you think it's going to places that you that aren't going there and it's it's sad but it's like part of growing up so it's like something that we all have to go through so it's uh it's it's bittersweet that experience and i and i love i love seeing films like that but the, the thing that makes this film so much more interesting and enjoyable is the first of all the kid is adorable uh mm -hmm. he's he's adorable but not in a way that's just like cloying and you know like he has his like serious problems as well and um but he's he's played with such empathy uh, by this by this kid, uh, the actor, which I don't know his name. Marquis Christmas. Okay, thank you so much for looking that up. Um, yeah. So he's and and his relationship with Chris Craig Robbins and the father son relationship in the film is is what really like keeps it apart. It's so from, strong. It's really strong and it's really unique and it's it rings true. It feels real. It's it's not it's not condescending in the way that like father figures in these films are either 
hundred percent uh supportive or hundred percent like antagonist antagonists that are like they don't understand what the kid is going through and blah blah and there's a mix of this in there which in many ways parents are like uh and he is a father like a single father who's trying to do the very best for his son and you know that he cares deeply about him and i love the some of the scenes where you know like the kid gets into trouble and you think that the father is going to approach it and in a certain way like there's this one scene that i love where it's like the father finds out that he's like the kid kid's like an aspiring rapper so he writes all these like uh like kind of misogynistic lyrics about like banging two chicks at the same time and you know whatever he heard from his like favorite like uh rap stuff and uh and you expect the father to come back with with like you know how how can you be so dirty and you know, you're, you're just a little kid. It's just like, don't be so filthy and blah, blah, like the typical father thing. But his reaction is, is, is perfect. He's like, and it makes perfect sense. He's like, what do you know about banging two chicks at the same time? Like, <laughs> like write about stuff that you know. Like, this is not, I'm not angry at you because this is like profanity or whatever. I'm angry, I'm angry at you because it's false. Because it's it's not true. Like, you're just, you're just like <laughs> copying other, and you know, I love that relationship. And the, the talk that, um, he has with the son at the very end uh is beautiful uh and it's it's just this this perfect it just describes like how uh, a father and son relationship um usually develops in these situations where the where the kid is like going through some hard times as far as like reaching puberty and understanding these issues are concerned and you're a father who understands who's been there who's been through all that and uh like the way that he relates to him is just is just beautiful so it's like main like don't expect anything new from the story itself but mainly the 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 performances and the way that the the father and son relationship is 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 handled is great and i love the way that um there's this tutor that uh he sees like a german tutor who's a college student and it also like shows that like she's kind of an authority figure but she's also a kid herself and she's trying to do the right thing by this uh you know by morris and uh i i really like felt for that relationship too so this is a, just a really sweet kind of um uh movie that that i think people can like it's also on amazon prime i think all of your picks i don't i'm not sure about Pop all star. the pop star, uh, which all I mean, obviously star. can be rented, but yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all are, are all Amazon, Amazon Prime, which was very easy for me to <laughs> yeah. catch up with them. But yeah, this this is a film that's like it's it's one that you can just like just sit and like if you want to watch something sweet without that's that's some that's not condescending. Yeah, it's not overly like yeah. sappy and sentimental, yeah. but it's, it's just not, it's, it's not saccharine, it, but it's it's sweet. Yeah, it's truthful. Like you said, it's it's a movie you've seen a million times before, but it's also done in a different, a, a slightly different way. Um, so it's, yeah, I rec I recommend it. Uh, for you know, for the sweetness, for the performances, I, the kid and Craig Robinson is just so so good in this movie, and I hope he gets more, you know, showcases outside of the like Seth Rogen movies, even though he's yeah. very funny in those movies. But yeah, he's, I mean, after, after this and his his brief uh, stint on uh, um, the second season of Mr. Robot, like he's just like kind of branching out a little bit, and mm. I think like as far especially playing this kind of a character who's just like a nurturing kind of father figure, uh, he's great at it. Um, yeah, so yeah. good. So good. But so you're, you're number two. So you're number my two. my number two is Jeff Nichols' uh, great uh, Midnight Special. Oh yeah. Which is you know I, you know when it first came out it didn't really 
get a lot of um, attention and love as far as like it got it got pretty good reviews, but uh, it didn't get a lot of attention in theaters. And um, now I feel like I've, I I am seeing it more on like people's top ten lists, and it's it's getting kind of love like the the love that it deserves. I feel like uh, this is the in it. In a time when it's when a lot of filmmakers are going back to that well of like eighties um, blockbuster nostalgia, like that Spielbergian feeling of tackling like um, serious issues with um, with like fantasy or science fiction uh, premises. Uh, I think this is a film that like captures that tone perfectly. Um, it it's almost like if an indie filmmaker made ET or something like that. Like it's it's it has that vibe to it. It is in many ways an indie film, but it isn't also in many ways a Spielberg uh, throwback. And it works on both of those levels. Um, I want to say almost perfectly. It has an uh, an astoundingly original approach to the uh, the premise of like a gifted child uh, who is like kind of being. Uh, protected uh, by his parents while uh, this cult is coming after them because they think he's like the their big savior. The government's coming after them because he has all these visions of like these government secrets and he has like all these really interesting powers that like that like that uh, that Nichols perfectly just like gradually paces it out. Uh, and uh, the mystery of what's going on with this kid and what's happening is just like so perfectly laid out. Um, it's it's a, it's a greatly structured and paced film. It has it has great performances. Um, you know, Michael Shannon especially is usually known as being like this this gruff, um, impersonal, uh, playing these kind types of characters, uh, kind of like charismatic badass types of characters, and it was like really re- refreshing to see him knock it out of the park as far as like this this um this guy this father who would do anything for his son and uh i think in there are many moments in this film that like really hit me um on a deeply emotional level as far as like what you know as a parent or what you would do for your for your child and uh and even if that takes like in a way you know doing something or never seeing them again or like without spoiling like too much um how much are you willing to sacrifice for your child and like i think michael shannon and kirsten Dunst playing the parents do an amazing job with that i think joel edgerton is great uh adam driver is great um yeah i can't i can't sing this movie's praises enough and this is one of the things that like this year has brought about like so many in a way films that i feel like shouldn't belong on this list like a, a big chunk of my list i feel like four out of five are films that I feel like shouldn't belong on this list because, like, why weren't they immediately instant classics is beyond me. And this is one of those, like, that I I sincerely hope that down the line, especially by, like, sci-fi fans, uh, people who are, like, really into, like, really good hard sci-fi that deals with deep human issues um, and on a a science fiction plane will will seek it out. But, yeah, I, I, I love this movie. I love it too, and it's it's stuck with me. That, you know, I went opening day the second it opened in Seattle. Went right after work to go see it. Loved it, and it's just stuck with me ever since. And it, it's a movie that's on both of our top ten lists uh, mm-hmm. of the year, actually. And um, 
I just it, it baffles me that Warner Brothers just kind of shit the bed with marketing this movie and like mm-hmm. releasing this movie. And it, it, it I think it was filmed in 2013 or 2014. So it took a long time to finally make it to the to the screen and i i think like jeff nichols there's a good interview with him where he's like i didn't make a oscar movie but i did make a blockbuster movie and so therefore they really didn't know what to do with it yeah. uh which i think is a damn shame because it's a very it's a very low-key sci-fi movie it's a it's a superhero origin story really mm. which we get a shitload of those uh you know every year and so like to the fact that this movie is like a different spin on it um and for my money, like other than Denis Villeneuve, I think Jeff Nichols is just like one of our greatest filmmakers working right now, like of a certain like graduating class of filmmakers. Um, I, I really admired Loving too. I mean, I like I did I like, too. I like Midnight so, Special a little bit more, but yeah, Loving was I think, and in both cases, in Loving and Midnight Special, you take uh, these these premises that are so ready for like kind of an overwrought um, approach. That's like like an easy overwrought approach. Um, to to kind of uh, push people's uh, emotional buttons, and he just kind of steers away from easy answers at every turn, and finds very unique and human and and relate like organically relatable ways of of telling this kind of story. That's you know in both cases with loving and um, midnight special that's been kind of done to death before, but he finds a way to make it fresh and uh, emotionally engaging. Loving is the only biopic, you know, not to stray too much from Midnight Special, but it's the only biopic I've seen in a long time uh, that ends the same way every single one does with a text crawl about mm-hmm. what happened after the fact. And yeah. it made me fucking cry. Like yeah. there's none yeah. of, most of them. I just roll my eyes. And that one was like, oh, man, they like they they earned that moment. And I listened to his um, interview with Jeff Goldsmith on the Q&A podcast mm-hmm. uh, when he was talking about loving and, um, and and I've always admired him doing this as a filmmaker and and it was nice to hear him basically you know say do that he does the same thing is that you know he's he's from the south and and a very like you know forward moving thinking person but like you know that he's a very empathetic person towards the area he grew up with like he's able to like reach across and like um you know shine that area in a light that doesn't usually uh get it and like shining on people who are worth uh, you know having stories told about him in that area so um i i think i've admired about that because he's such a such a humanist filmmaker as as you brought up and that's one thing i've always admired and uh and the fact that like this just shows he's he's a good like subtly a really good genre filmmaker too like i don't think people realize or give enough credit for that yeah. but between this and yeah. and i'd say like the third act of mud uh, uh-huh. slips into like a more conventional thriller, but he does it very well and, and take shelter as well. Um, like there's some, you know, good sci-fi elements to that. Take um, shelter is one of the best, like, um, I don't want to call maybe horror movie, but thrillers in, in recent years. And it is. It doesn't it does get enough the credit for that. For that. Cause, Cause people look at it and they're like, Oh, it's a, uh, it's an indie, but it's there. There, there's stuff in that movie. That's just like truly kind of, uh, unsettling and, and interesting. And that, yeah, it's, it's a great, you know, like some of it's he is a director who's just like, you know, I, I wrote when I was writing about Midnight Special and uh, because of my admiration for loving as well. I was like, this was a shit year. But like, thank God, like Jeff Nichols happened to it because <laughs> yeah, these, these are two films that are not only like excellent, but also are films that just like just make you remember why you love movies more than anything else. It's it's, it's these are st- beautiful stories that are told in this like very engaging and unique way uh, without 
kind of catering to the dry, um, like needlessly dry um, indie uh, uh, approach or like the needlessly colorful and over-the-top blockbuster approach and like finds this perfect balance in between. And uh, yeah, I think Midnight Special is definitely uh, the one that I can think of like among all these like films that want to do like a throwback to the to the Spielberg era or whatever that finds that great balance between nostalgia, like the pre- past and the present and the future. Yes. Like it's, yes, it's thank the, you. It's, it's, it's entrenched in the past of like this types of like the gifted child and the, all this like fantastical sci-fi stuff that's happening. Um, and I love the answer that it comes out with it because you know that the answer is going to be like something, ah, it's probably going to be like something with aliens, but it's like, it, it, he actually comes out with something original and interesting. And it's, 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 uh, even if it doesn't make a hundred percent sense or whatever, it's just like at least you have to admire it for. Um, I mean, it made sense to me, but like I, I know a lot of reviews where they were just like, what "The fuck was that with that ending?" Uh, mm-hmm. But at least like it's 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 hard to not appreciate like um, him trying something really unique and original. But yeah, I it's, agree. It's, it's 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 set like it's the there's that tone from the past, but it's like it's also it's not enough to just like recreate and rehash the style the hundred percent from there and just like copy the way that stranger things to... did with that. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a good, and that, that drove me nuts. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I wanted to bring that up before we, uh, you know, moved on to, to the next movie, but that's what drove me nuts about that. That show seemed to capture the zeitgeist this summer, like probably more than any like blockbuster movie did. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's cute. It's a cute show. Sure. It's fine. But like, it's so like, there are whole sequences from that show that are lifted straight from other movies that you know. Like, the whole ending, without, like, spoiling it, spoiling it, is, like, lifted right out of Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like, whole sequences. And, like, Midnight Special feels like it, it, it takes that template, but it puts a fresh spin on it. Yeah, as so opposed it's, just, to it's just... the past and the future. It's just, like, it, it yes. feels fresh. It feels like, okay, this is where indie... Not indie filmmaking, but this is where, like, this kind of mid-budget filmmaking, which is kind of evaporating right now... So uh, that's why it's so it's also so exciting to see a film like Midnight Special. Uh, it, it that's where it kind of belongs. It's just like yes, it's it's done in a in a contemporary way, in a way that like has the style and approach, like the more uh, maybe more realistic style and approach of like the the contemporary times, but with the tone and the uh, the influence of the uh, of the eighty Spielberg. And I think that it did a much better job with that instead of. Just like, yeah, just like you said, like where Stranger Things just kind of copy pasted it. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so what's your uh, number two? Uh, my number two is an acquired taste, uh, but it is. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> it is Wiener Dog, uh, the latest film from Todd Salons, which really should just say everything. Like, if you yeah. hear that, you're either running for the hills. You just move on, really. Like, yeah, you just you're say either. Todd Salons, and that's it. Yeah, people either going to run for the hills or they're going to be interested or they've actually probably already seen it <laughs> at that point. But um, no, I found this movie, like a lot of Todd Salon's movies. I found this movie to be equally fascinating and uncomfortable from beginning mm-hmm. to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unlike a lot of his movies, um, even though I, I'm a little I'm a little mixed on the ending, uh, the taxidermia like ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found this to be in a in his fucked up way, one of his more like sort of sweeter movies. Again, mm. it's, it's, it's uncomfortable and it's, it's strange, but I do feel like I like this sort of vignette structure of this wiener dog who goes from family to family to family. 
-hmm. and like how that dog impacts their lives. And some of them, I mean, some of them negatively, but others uh, affected more positively. And, um, you know, it's just it's it's basically an anthology film all directed by one filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, But I found the movie to be like that. That brand of humor just works for me really well. But I also found it to be, you know, kind of, again, in a weird way sweet and, and, um, and in many ways the dog has no effect on the story <laughs> so in, it, in, in that weird. case yeah, it is kind just, of like an anthology film yeah because the dog just he does just show up in their in you know in the lives of these people and in many of the situations uh, you have no idea how they you know like the one of the stories ends like with say the dog at the pound or something and then mm-hmm. next thing you know they're just like they've been adopted by this one character but you know you don't know how that right. came to be you don't, but I do. I would say at least that second story, the dog has an effect on what happens. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I, I think I think he, you know, but yes, it's it's not really about the dog. Um, it's it's just about the lives of these people and how, uh, you know, you're basically kind of you're not really seeing it through the dog's eyes, but you're on this journey with them uh, to see all these weird, strange people. But, um, you know, I ultimately found it uh, interesting and left me with a lot to uh, think about uh at the end, which again, oh, yeah. I don't want to spoil for people, but, um, but yeah, again, it's a Todd Salons movie, so mm-hmm. it's either your cup of tea or it isn't. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> so. that, that's one of those things. It's just like Todd Salons is one of those filmmakers that I love. Uh, and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm especially fascinated with his recent foray into more like absurdist and surreal, uh, uh, filmmaking where like his last movie, Dark Horse was just like, it just gets, you know, it just starts off as this, like, very traditional story and then, like, gets into, like, all these dreams within dreams. And uh, it's it's very interesting and fascinating. But, yeah, acquired taste is, like, a big, giant key here. Um, yeah. Todd Salon's films, um, you know, I love them. I would not recommend them to anyone that I don't know personally. That's why I was like, hesitant to put like this I would, on this I, list. I would have to know you. Like, if people were just like, oh, what's an interesting film? that I can go watch these days. And if it was Todd Sloan's film is the one that I've watched last and I really enjoyed it, I wouldn't, like, I would have to know you uh, before I, you know, because then I don't want people to come back at me be saying, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why would you recommend this to me? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. The, the, like, it the ruined rating, my day and all that. The rating, like, the user rating on Prime Video for this is, like, a 1.9. I'm not I was surprised. Like, yeah, I was like, yep, that's about, that sounds about right. Because a lot <laughs> Cause... of people, I mean, think about it. As you go to Amazon Prime, you're just, like, switching, and there's this, like, movie. It's called about, like, Wiener cute, Dog. Cute you dog see a picture and, of the like, dog, yeah. <laughs> and then you sit through it, and you're just, like, mortified at the end. <laughs> exactly. but, but it's Todd Sons, and then, like, if, but if you're a cinephile, and you see, like, oh, Todd Sons new movie, you know exactly what you're going to expect, which is exactly. a lot of, you know, nihilism and misery and like the absurdity of life and um uh, but but incredible like incredibly funny humor extracted out of it i mean fuck i mean just go watch happiness where it's a, it's a movie about uh you know where you're you're asked to relate to a a family man who's a pedophile um so God, that's that that's be- the kind of and and it gets worse from that point on we're just that's just the 90s taught so long oh yeah so uh (laughs) (laughs) so you know exactly what to expect from wiener dog i really like i'm glad that i caught up with it since it was on your list because it was definitely on my list because i'm a big fan of this guy and um yeah it didn't disappoint as a as a todd solon's film i love the um the kind of tongue-in-cheek self-referential humor in it the the intermission cracked me up oh god Uh, that was so so funny. funny and it's it's a film that's just like 
there's like the best of his work it just like mixes the incredibly uncomfortable with the incredibly funny and the same at yep. the same time uh i have a couple of issues with it i mean it's like i understand that apparently header like he wants to just like he did with um uh life during wartime um he wanted to bring back like some of the characters from right his he brought back films. don wiener yeah he wanted to bring back don wiener because also it's like wiener dog was like the nickname that the bullies gave to her in um mm -hmm. Uh, welcome to the dollhouse and um you know i know that he wanted to bring her back i guess heather martirazzo said no and then so he went with greta gerwig which i don't think was the right choice because apart from like my personal issues with greta gerwig i don't you know i don't like her very much but apart from that like and and also apart from her like being like it's it's a little bit nonsensical the way that she would play the adult version of that character because um I guess I would say she's more traditionally attractive than Heather Motorasso. So, you know, it's, it's, it always bugs me to see like, um, women or girls like that. And, you know, it's, that's also like a teen movie trope as well, where it's just like a, Oh no, Shailene Woodley is an ugly nerd in this movie. You know, that kind of thing that just bugs me right. all the time. Uh, so, but also like her kind of, I don't think she was the right choice to capture the kind of, uh, introverted um like geeky behavior of that character so that that whole section felt a little bit flat but it was kind of saved by um is it rory culkin one of the Culkins. uh kieran culkin kieran culkin yeah. is his his just like completely just like flat flat on not flat but like dead dead on that deadpan deadpan humor. He, he's great and also i i feel like how that segment ends like again that's i think that segment is where i'm thinking where like sort of the weird sweetness for todd salons comes into play because i'm almost like yeah. this is the one like the one story where i feel like the dog leading to something that was actually like positive um you know juxtaposed with the next segment with danny DePito, <laughs> where it's well that's that's opposite. my favorite segment in the film mainly Same because hair. i can relate to it so well and he handles it because i am a uh, you know fat pathetic screenplay teacher in many ways so it's, no uh, uh, don't say that <laughs> uh but you know like i i do like also like you know i, I can relate to a lot of this the, the kind of stuff that he goes through there you know like you act like you're the shit when you're just like talking to your students about like um you know oh you have to do this and you have to do this to work and it's just like i know what i'm talking about and then you turn around and like you call uh you know or get in, try to get in touch with agents and, like, beg for them to, like, read your script and stuff like that. So it's, like, that dichotomy is uh, is perfectly captured. And the absurd way that it ends is, is just brilliant. Um, so, yeah, yeah, this is a Todd, this is a Todd Solondz film. If you like his yep. stuff, check it out. If, <laughs> if you, you don't, if you don't stay far, far away from yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I guess we're, right. we're moving on to our uh, number, number ones. ones, right? Yep. So uh, my number one is definitely like the king of the um, that complaint that I had of like how is this not an instant classic? <laughs> mm -hmm. But that kind of like pisses me off. It's like I'm like, what the fuck happened here? Like this should have been like um, the big um, beloved family movie of the year, and it is Pete's Dragon. Stop what you're doing, young lady. Your feet don't even reach the pedals. Scoot over. Wait! I don't want to hurt your friend, son. I just want to help. Get in. 
this was on my top 10. I absolutely love this movie. Um, I think as far as like the idea of um, the same, kind of the same thing as like Midnight Special, like Peter, uh, is it Peter Lowry? Uh, David Lowry. David Lowry, uh, the director, you know, coming from an indie world, um, making it. Eight Body Saints. Eight Body Saints. Yeah, yeah, and it's going by that movie, like how he handled this. It's, it's, it's a huge surprise to me. Um, but that, that, I mean, that Eight Body Saints was fine. Uh, but like, it didn't make me expect like a great family film from that guy. And he takes this like kind of silly, goofy uh, '70s Disney movie with an animated dragon. And turns it into this like really incredibly sweet, um, engaging um, family film. Like I know, and I know that like sometimes that's that can be like a like a bad word to to like that can turn people off, uh, that can turn some audiences off. But I think like as it can be like a great thing as well. And this is this is one of those films that's like like really earns that badge of like a great family film that everybody of all ages can just like sit and watch and take something profound out of it. Um, yeah. He took that like kind of goofy seventies movie and turned it into this like really beautiful journey of this, this kid who, um, you know, it's a Disney movie. So of course the beginning he gets, he gets orphaned um, and is adopted by this, this dragon, which uh, I have to give props to people who made the movie, the, the design uh, and the animation of the dragon is is beautiful. Um, it's incredible. It's, it's also kind of ballsy that they just decided, you know, to show it. You know, like like yeah. a lot of Spielbergian template, like like say Gareth Edwards with the most recent Godzilla movie is to conceal, 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 yeah, uh, and then reveal. And then in the beginning, they're just like, nope, here's the dragon. Yeah, this is what he looks great. like. That was great. Yeah, it, it worked perfectly because that's what you needed in that moment because the yep. the uh, the opening is so traumatic. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, I'm surprised and, that they took that chance. Yeah, yeah, and it's but he handles this perfectly. Like this, it's not gratuitous. It's not. No. It's in a way, it's poetic. Uh, the way that he shot it, I feel like, as much as I love this movie, the um the pre credits sequence can be like this amazing short film on its own if you just mm-hmm. watch it that way. Um, yeah, it's it's beautiful. Uh, I love the the progression of the story. I love uh the design of the. The dragon is so unique and beautiful and the animation like it's like it's one of those um uh like animated designs that makes you think like yeah it's like cgi can do this uh it's not always like it's so popular to shit on cgi the shit on computer animation but it can you know every once in a while i can do something like this that make you completely fall in love with uh, uh, a 3d animated character well, when and it can show you that. scale and emotion and like kind of blend in because most mm-hmm. of this movie is practically done with the exception of a cgi dragon and yeah so, and that's like, what i love about it too yeah yeah same so it's just like you you feel the like it's done so well to scale and it's like you feel this sense of like you feel that sense of like love between the characters, but also it's like, he's a little boy. He's a giant dragon. They're running through the woods and you it also gives you this weird, like uncomfortableness. You're like, Oh God, I hope it doesn't stomp on him mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like it's, it's, it's very believable. Yeah. And he handled it great. And yeah, that's, that's one of the other things that I love about this film, apart from the dragon, like the rest of it is kind of shot and, uh, put together, like almost like a PG rated indie. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, you know, the, the, there's a, um, he does actually like put a lot of um attention to the character development 
you, you relate to all the characters like the Bryce Dallas Howard character who wants to kind of like adopt this kid but the kid is like kind of conflicted between living with the dragon living with the family uh i think this is one of the best performances that robert redford has given um in a while uh it's it's a it's a very like underseen kind of tender and sweet uh character Mm -hmm. from him and i love the character like this this uh kind of grandma grandpa character who's seen the dragon and just like created this this kind of a violent like typical mythology about dragons around it and that the story that the way that that arc concludes is is beautiful the the conversation between bryce dallas howard and robert redford um bryce dallas uh, howard is terrific in this movie it's actually too, yeah you know a lot, a lot of people and it's it's she's one of those actresses that's like that really like either shines or crumbles uh depending Same. on the material like i have nothing against her like personally at all but she's she's just never really like totally done it for me on screen but i think here she's she's excellent like i think she she sort of steals the show or or like at least is the the you know her and the the kid in the movie are just like fantastic yeah, yeah. And, and even like carl urban's character who's like the who who would have been the typical like i want money and i'm gonna exploit the the dragon and blah blah and it's like you can completely understand his motivation you can completely understand where it's coming from he's yeah. not an over-the-top villain in any way no, like, he's, he's like, very. He's just like a. He's like a blue collar worker. Yeah, it was <laughs> like, just like just I'm tired chance. of this job. I want to make some money. Like it's it's the, the motivations and the way that this film. It's like, it's it is a it is a big budget fantasy, uh, film. But in a way that it's the the conflicts and the um, the story that it deals with is so refreshingly low key. Yes, I, I think that's what's what makes this movie shine and why it's as good as it is, because, um, you know, they only made this movie, I think, for 60 million, which is small potatoes compared to what, you know, most big live action Disney, Marvel, Lucasfilm, whatever. Well, what, production the Jungle are. Book was like, what, 200 million? Something like had that? to have been at yeah. least. Um, and, and obviously that that they were rewarded for that, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I, I do think, you know, I really like the Jungle Book as we talked in our previous episode. And I think, you know, it was your overrated, but you you still enjoyed well, it. The, but this the, is the a main, better reason. Yeah, yeah. This is a better film. Is definitely. And th- that was the main reason for me to put the Jungle Book in my overrated because I was like, that's the movie that got the most attention. And, like, yeah, when I got Pete's Dragon on Blu-ray, even on the Blu-ray cover, it says, from the studio that brought you to Jungle Book. And then that kind of pissed me off a little bit because I was like, yeah, this is the far better movie that you should be watching. I but, agree. Uh, Jungle Book is fun, but I didn't... Like, it's 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 fun and satisfying in a fast food kind of way. It's, 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 uh, it's really well-made kind of, like, um, comfort food. Uh, and I think like Burgerville. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a <laughs> uh, local reference. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's. But I think Pete's Dragon is is a wholly uh, satisfying um, film in many ways. That like just gives you also like it deals with like the themes of like the importance of family um, and the importance like the feeling of belonging and, and it's a film that takes place in a small town. It has it captures like the all the 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 kind of rustic beauty of that uh in like a logging uh town and it, it's also like it's it's a period film it takes place i think in the 70s but it doesn't make a big deal of it up to a point where it doesn't you don't get even any like text super imp- or like anything that shows you like when it takes place yeah there's a timeless feel to the movie um, yeah which yeah. is something jeff nichols is always really good about doing too but like even you know but david lowry also i mean eight the body saints was set in the 80s but like this doesn't it doesn't tell you where it's set it could be 
and it's a small town. It could be said at any time, and I think that's what's going to make it age well. And I and I wish, I wish because it didn't make a lot of money, and it, I mean it made more than its budget. But like you know, they're going to go. Disney's going to go all in on like the Jungle Books and Cinderellas. And I wish, Beauty you know, I think and the, all that. like they're just going to like keep. God, doing I. Their, you know. My wife's like, why are you not excited for Beauty and the Beast? Because that's my favorite uh, animated Disney mm-hmm. movie of all time. I was like, well, there's the your animated answer. movie's perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, and why? I saw the. I saw the most recent trailer. I was like, it's just a shot-for-shot remake of the animated movie. Yeah, with CGI. It's hard to even call it live action because it's like when you have one character who's live action, like it doesn't count, or you know, it's it's weird. It doesn't. And and I think the other benefit too, like as opposed to Jungle Book, Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, is Peach Dragon the original is not a very beloved movie and not a very good movie either. And so like there was a lot of freedom to uh, improve. And that's what a good remake should do. Here's an idea that didn't quite work, but is a good idea. And let's make it good. Um, And he just he just took the basic concept of the film and just ran with it and made it. It's really only similar in name. In name. (laughs) Yeah. And the the, the main concept (laughs) of the, you know, the kid being best friends with the dragon and all that stuff yep. that can and also the dragon can turn invisible that's another one but uh but he took all that like those like couple of bullet points and just like turned it into a movie that's like very different tonally and narratively uh and that's what you're pretty much that's what i think remakes should do so that uh, in that case like people shit on remakes a lot but i think at least in this case like he knocked it's... it out of the park uh but yeah this is my favorite like uh family film of the year or like in many years and uh yeah i I hope i hope people um give it more of a chance than uh all these like obviously kind of attractive but in a way a little bit vapid um efforts from disney to just like keep remaking their live action versions of their animated stuff Yep, I would agree. It's okay. it's a great movie, and it just barely missed my top ten, but it's yeah. it's so good. And please see it. Like yeah. I really, I really, I vouch for the Jungle Book, but I, I vouch for this movie even even more. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, so let's let's get down to it. What's your uh, what's your number one? Well, completely shifting gears. Uh, this is not a this is not a family movie, though it is about family. Uh, it is it is Men and Chicken. Uh, and the character Danish... who jerks off every five minutes is not a family movie. <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, this is a Danish film uh, by director Anders Thomas Jensen, and it features Mad Michelson as in a hair lip and a hilarious mustache, and yes, jerks off every like five minutes. Um, but it's, it's a story about these two brothers, Mads Michelson and David Densick, who go, uh, their, their father or their adopted father passes away, tells them that he's not their real father. And so they're in search to find, uh, where they come from and they end up in the countryside and stumble across this sort of like just odd, just group of misfits who are their, their brothers, um, who all have this similar like deformity like trait to them like all of them have a hair lip all of them have this like strange stuff and it and it's just a series of bizarre strange events this is this is a dark comedy meets a grim fairy tale i guess i would say like there's there's a like weird there are moments it turns into a straight up horror movie (laughs) there are exactly it's like it's uh you know i guess without spoiling too much it's like the uh it's like if the professor uh uh from south park had uh (laughs) had children yeah this would be like this sort of the the thing that would uh, spawn from it but i i think this movie uh you know it's weird there's a twist which obviously will not give away here because i think people should see this movie but it i thought it was going there and i was like nah nah this movie's not gonna go 
that place. Really? You uh, thought that, and it, that movie's not going to go? That movie can go I, anywhere. Oh, I, I thought <laughs> After that. After a while, but you're it, like, this is going to go it, anywhere. But then it did. It, it did go to that place. I was like, oh. But it actually, like, sort of, like, if you watch this movie again, it really enriches, uh, like, both the movie and the performances. And, like, you realize how good every performance is at mimicking a certain element. Um and I just think the movie, like, you know, it's a Danish movie. So if you if you watch a lot of Danish movies, you'll know that it's like it's got a fucked gonna up. It's going to be grim and weird. It. Yes, it's going to be so strange. But it's I thought it was really, really funny. And um, and and yeah, it's kind of a it's just this really odd oddball movie that I found like really charming. And it like it draft house films put it out and it kind of like it did the sort of like roadshow thing. Like it probably played at the Hollywood Theater in Portland for a weekend. It played here at the uh sif uptown which is where i went and saw it but like it 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 sort of barely got a release um the way the draft house films does that but it is streaming on prime video and i think it's uh it, it's you know again uh tread lightly going into yeah. it but it's it's really I, I think it's really entertaining for a specific kind of humor oh yeah i was i was laughing my ass off pretty much the whole movie <laughs> so uh it's, but but it does it does require a certain type of sense of humor for you to actually like get into the groove of it because if you don't this will be kind of a miserable experience uh i i I hate being this kind of like hacky uh film critic guy who's just like oh this means this and blah blah but i think i think i have to be in this case because i it's the what better way to explain like to describe this movie than um the texas chainsaw massacre meets dumb and dumber Ah oh, man, yeah, I would I would that, agree with that. Yeah, you know, there's those like horrific elements. It's just like the, it's like, the house from like take the house from like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like decrepit, like and those these weirdos who live in it are just like, like you can really like it's it's one of those um, films that I would show to people like uh, I I can imagine myself showing to people in like film class when when uh, teaching about like how you can take a premise and turn it into completely different ways. Like, you can yes. completely take this premise and turn it into, like, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre-style horror movie, even with using the same sets and the same actors. <laughs> like, you yeah, didn't absolutely, because really, You wouldn't really have to change it that much visually. Actor. Yeah. Same with David yeah. Densick. Like, I, I, it's perfect, but the fact that they're Like, the, the house is a, a straight-up horror movie house, like, this giant, like, decrepit mansion that's just, like, completely, like, falling apart, and uh, the characters are just, like, off-putting and weird and... Uh, there's just one, but, but it's also like fucking hilarious because it's, um, you know, like the Mads Mikkelsen character is like a compulsive masturbator. Like he can't stop himself if he has even like the slightest bit of, uh, communication with any kind of a female human, regardless of age, it feels like. Uh, I'm glad that the movie doesn't go into like, I'm glad that the movie doesn't show any children really. (laughs) <laughs> yes. around him because that would have been like very problematic but but like yeah anyway he can't like he has to, like there's this one brilliant gag in it where just like this old old lady like gives them a ride and uh and then he's just like i'm gonna go back in the woods and jerk off because i was like too in, a, in too close of a proximity to her and yes you know, it's, it's he's he's complete like whatever uh the uh american audiences know is mad mads mickelson like hannibal and his recent uh, role Gale in Rogue herself, One is just like Rogue a stoic, um, like very serious uh, kind of demerit. Just completely goes out the window. He's hilarious in this movie, um, and he's just like he's just like such a uh, like condescending prick, like mm-hmm. just just like the worst kind of like like um, 
like condescending piece of shit who just like thinks he knows everything and uh but he's like a complete loser at the same time like his well, yeah he his, commits his, he his commits brother to can't his, stand him he commits to his like yeah i'm right about this and he's wrong almost every sense of the way but he's committed to it yeah and it's like uh and and he, he keeps talking about like all these like great like no one's better than him like there's this part where he he talks about like oh einstein is overrated and you know if, if that that kind of character reminds you of someone you know yeah, uh, come up with your own conclusions. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I think he does a great job representing that character. But yeah, this, the thing that I admired about this film the most is is that kind of like weird um, uh, mix of like a, a, a look and a feel that would completely fit a horror movie, but then like goes within this um, dark comedy route. And I know that because this is like such a weird movie with like these weird characters. Like I know that down the line someone's gonna try to make an American remake of this with like God, it's not gonna Will, work. Will Ferrell it... or you know Will Ferrell, John C. Riley or like whatever, whoever like Mark Wahlberg, just like you know that that the whole Adam McKay troop, uh, just don't. <laughs> yeah, please. Just like I and it. I love those guys. Like I love. It's not gonna have the balls make, to like it's... the convictions of this movie has. It's not gonna have the balls to like follow through on that. And it's just gonna be annoying. Yeah, there's already talks. There's already talk like a sidebar. There's already talks about an American remake of The Wailing, like Ridley Scott wants. Mm. And I'm like, don't, just don't. Like it's so specific to South Korean culture that it's just not going to translate to mm-hmm. an English language movie. It's and, just, and, and, this, and it's the same one, with this one. This one is is kind of into the culture. Like there's something about Danish filmmakers that I'm just like, you guys are always come out at, at top on those like the happiest countries in the world. But like just watching your movies, like you would think it's like this. Uh, miserable hellhole. Oh but, yeah, uh, like Reffin's earlier movies, yeah, like the Pusher trilogy and and, and stuff uh, like that. You know, like, uh, Von Trier and all that. Like, and the, this stuff yeah. like belongs in that. Like, even their like kind of goofy comedies are just like weird and fucked up. Uh, they but are. That's, but that's what I love. That's what I love weird... about it. And... Same. It's got this like story. Like again, this grim fairy tale like storybook structure to it. Like the way it ends is like you would think it's like a happy ending in a weird way. And I'm like, how? But then you think about it for like two minutes. You're like, this is fucking terrifying. It's yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> but like, but you're also it's the like... beginning of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But 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 it's conceived as this like, and the story's over. The end. Sort of thing. So I'm just like how the movie was able to like balance that like tone, that like horror movie setting, the dark comedy, the like fairy tale element, like how it was able to pull that off. I do not know, but it it just it it worked. It works so well. And I think it's just because the, the comedy is so strong. Like, again, the juxtaposition of setting and comedy is strong and the performances are terrific all around. Yeah, this is also one of those where I'm, I'm like just tread tread lightly just don't yes don't, like if you want if you like this kind of weird shit and some of the people you know like you want to watch a movie with like they don't like don't watch it with them because mm-hmm. this is this is like like wiener dog this is one of those movies that like if you don't know the person and you recommend it they're gonna come back at you saying like what's what's wrong with you like why yeah they're gonna try and this? commit you to <laughs> yeah yeah especially with this movie uh but yes. yeah it's, it's it's i thought it was just brilliant and fucking hilarious uh awesome. so yeah thank, you, thank you for making me watch this one especially yeah you're welcome um, yeah i guess so so i guess i guess that's it we've gone through our overrateds and underrateds yeah we can finally put the nail in the bed uh or nail in the coffin not bed of 2016 <laughs> thank god uh just put that behind us go, go um, bet some senior citizens the way they do in the man and chicken <laughs> yes exactly 
exactly. Um, so, so yeah, that's that concludes our 2016 wrap up. Um, we're we got to plug something for next week. We don't or not next week. I guess next time we yeah. record. Um, we still don't know if Eric's going to be back with us or not on the next episode. Um, in the event, if he is back. We still plan on doing uh, his underrated McCabe and Mrs. Miller and a yet-to-be-determined overrated movie. Um, but if Eric isn't back, uh, the picks revert to me. Um, and in that case, we're going to be doing um, Michael Mann's 1987 uh, Hannibal Lecter thriller Manhunter as underrated and Denis Villeneuve's Prisoners as overrated. So two, two dark, dark procedural crime police dramas so um you yeah. can look forward to one or the other uh yeah. in the coming week and um, i'm sure the mccabe and mrs miller episode we're gonna get down to uh so it's like it's uh you know interesting movies all around either way yes it'll be a good discussion depending on what uh comes um mm-hmm. but uh yeah so we'll we'll sign out uh this is ryan oliver i'm a contributor and podcaster here at theplaylist.net uh, this is Oktay Ege Kozak. I'm a contributor film critic at um, theplaylist.net, uh, Oregon Herald, DVD Talk, and BayasParte.com. And you can find us, of course, here at theplaylist.net. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Uh, you can leave a comment on the blog post that you're seeing for this or on iTunes. It lets us know what we're doing right, what we can improve on. You can also mm-hmm. follow us on Facebook uh, or follow us on Twitter. Excuse me. Facebook is like. Uh, like us on Facebook at uh, Facebook slash Over Under Movies or follow us on Twitter at Over Under Movies. All right. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back to our regular episodes uh very soon and check out um these movies and hopefully you'll you'll like the movies that we recommended that kind of got overlooked uh last year absolutely we we recommend all of them 